Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn. On January 26th of this year, I received a letter from an old friend, Stephen Martin, who's been on our show before. He was, he was with us to talk about his near-death experience. He writes, Hi, John. I very much enjoyed being on your podcast. And it occurred to me that you might be interested in doing another about a new book I've written that's meant to help launch a project I've undertaken. For quite some time, psychics and sages have been predicting a shift in consciousness among the people of our planet that will usher in a new age of peace, harmony, love, and understanding. The Age of Aquarius, which was described in the song by the Fifth Dimension that was released back in 1969, is a good example of that feeling. As you might suspect, I'm all for that. It sounds like the shift in consciousness I've been trying to bring about with my books on metaphysics. So I asked myself, why hasn't it happened? I answered, maybe because not enough people read books. Fair enough. That's one reason I go on podcasts like yours. Then I thought, what else can I do? What I've done is team with a television production company, Good All Over TV, that produces a series for public television. Together, we plan to produce one that's meant to get the facts out about the true nature of reality. You can read about our plans in the attached PDF. What do you think, John? You ready for another podcast? I look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, Stephen Hawley Martin. And my answer was, you bet, Stephen. Can't wait. Let's do it. Let's let's start spreading some consciousness out there. So fill us in. Okay. Well, John, thank you. That I did. That was a pretty good letter. You mean I actually wrote that myself? My goodness. Uh, it, yeah. There's no CC or secretary's name on here, so it must have been you. I think it was. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your uh, having me on again, and and I'm as I said in the letter there, I'm working with uh, Good All Over TV. They produce a series now for. PBS called The Good Road. It's actually in, into its, I think the fourth season is running now and they're working on their fifth. Wow. But uh, it's a couple of guys that I've gotten to know and uh, they want to help me on this project. And so right now we're in the planning stages. We're hoping that it'll start, it'll uh, come off and that it'll run next fall, probably at the earliest. And uh, what we're planning to do is talk to people, interview people that are working on things like consciousness, the folks up at UVA, for example, uh, the Division of Perceptual Studies, they've been studying consciousness, near-death experiences, children's memories of past lives, all kinds of stuff for for about 60 years. The Division of Perceptual Studies was founded in 1967. Is that Dr. Stevenson up there? Dr. Stevenson was the original, what was the founder of it. He uh, uh, is dead now. He died in 2007. But uh, he, of course, studied children's memories of past lives, wrote a whole shelf full of books about it. His first one, I think, came out in the mid-1960s, actually before the Division of Perceptual Studies was founded. And um, he, it was called 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation. Mm-hmm. He got he most of the early ones that were studied children's memories of past lives were in countries where where reincarnation is taken for granted you know like Thailand and and India and so forth so but uh, there have been plenty uh, that have come about here in the United States uh, since the new director is named Jim Tucker and I've uh, interviewed him twice 
He's written two books uh, about his work, about children's memories of past lives. And then there's another fellow up there named uh, Bruce Grayson, who's been studying near-death experiences. Both of these guys are psychiatrists, MDs. So there you go, John. I just did a, uh, a podcast episode recently about the chilling story of Carl Eden's other life. Uh, if you're familiar with Stevenson's works, and he, Carl Eden was investigated uh, by uh, UVA. This was a, a young British boy who grew up from the age of three or four telling his parents that he had had another life and that he was a pilot of a plane that crashed and that he died in that crash. And this went on from a very early age. He even provided very accurate pictures to his parents. His dad went to the library, checked out the pictures of, of what a cockpit looked like on this particular plane, which is, turns out I think was a, a Messerschmitt 109. If I, this plane had crashed on a bombing mission, World War II, on the coast of England, not far from where this little boy was born, 50 years later. It was just a chilling case. I mean, this was, if ever there was a case of reincarnation, this little guy, the spirit of this German uh, bomber pilot, uh, was reincarnated into this boy even to the point where he had scars uh, on his neck, uh, which uh, indicated how the original uh, German pilot had died in that crash. Um, and they didn't find That's the body, they didn't find the body of this pilot until uh, much, much later. Uh, so nobody, everybody thought he'd been buried. Nobody really knew his story. The wrong man had been buried. This guy was still in the wreck, which, which had been bulldozed and was buried in this little guy's town. So, well, not, not to go overboard with that, but it's just another story of reincarnation. Uh, this one was well, a let, good one. Let me tell you, uh, that's similar to a story uh, of James Leidiger, I think his name was. Young boy who uh, was born, I think, in 1998 and started, uh, his parents um, were from uh, Louisiana. They were Southern Baptists, so they didn't believe in reincarnation. But uh, James, when he was about two years old, started having nightmares, and he would scream in his sleep, uh, plane on fire, little man can't get out. Hmm. Plane on fire. He would have this, you know, two or three times a week he would have this nightmare. And then he started talking about uh, his past life as a pilot in World War II. In this case, uh, the man that they found out he was relating to was uh, shot down at Iwo Jima, the Battle of Iwo Jima. He was uh, flying off of an aircraft carrier, and he was flying a Corsair and was hit by any aircraft fire, hit the engine, and the plane did crash on fire. Well, uh, of course, the father didn't really believe the boy, but the mother kind of uh, did, and she, she took him to an air and space museum where there was a Corsair, and he he uh, started talking all about it. She said, for example, that uh, it had this what looked like bombs under the wings. And the little boy, who about that time was around four years old, said, no, no, Mom, they're not bombs. Those are drop tanks. <laughs> they're, they're gasoline tanks that the planes use so they can go out farther uh, and, uh, you know, go have a longer range. And when they're empty, they, they just drop them off the wings. So things like that. Not only that, but he, his father then said, well, uh, what is the, uh, what, what ship did you, were you on? And he said, the Natoma. Well, his father did some research, and indeed, there was a ship called the Natoma Bay 
that was in that battle of Iwo Jima, his aircraft carrier, and uh, he gave the names of some of his friends that were on, there were co-pilots -pilot, that were also on that ship, and his dad took him to a reunion of the uh, people from the Natoma Bay that were in that battle, when I think that James was six years old, but he was still very young, and he recognized them, recognized different people, uh, and <laughs> said, gosh, they're so old, because that was like 60 years after the after the Natoma Bay was in that battle. He also introduced and got to know his sister in the former life, who was kind of an old lady by then, and uh, she was convinced that he was the reincarnation of her brother as well. So that's another fantastic story about someone who was killed in an airplane in, 19, in, the, uh, in World War II. So, the beginning of it, your article says, uh, why a shift in consciousness may be our only hope the world's a mess, and it seems to me the reason why is simple. A mistaken worldview makes animosity and hatred between nations, religions, and races possible. So you believe it's a worldview. Uh, a lot of people would say, hey, it's just man's natural, normal aggression, and we're never going to be able to get to the bottom of it. Well, uh, let me talk to that a little bit, John. I figured you uh, might want to. <laughs> Uh, you know, in school, we're still taught this scientific materialism. Now they're calling it physicalism. And uh, it leads to uh, uh, the idea that there is no God, <clears throat> that there is only physical substance, matter, that there's no spiritual realm, there's no angels, no demons, no nothing. And when you die, it's like you pull the plug on a vacuum cleaner and that's it, you know, nada put finished well consciousness research research is showing that's not true you know max planck who is the founder of quantum theory said that uh and he's quoted in a in a newspaper article as having said that consciousness is really the ground of being of all that is that matter as such the way we think of it at least, really doesn't exist. It's all energy, it's all vibrations, and that it's vibrations, it's energy that's conscious, and that what we perceive as uh, human beings is really an illusion, that, that we're really not separate, that everything is, this is what quantum physics tells us, everything really is connected, it's vibrations. There's no place where one, where vibration stops and a new one starts. It's continuous. We are really all one and all part of one mind. And there have been so many uh, near-death experiencers who've come back, who've been clinically dead and brought back, who talk about their life review they have, that they, they, they reunite with relatives on the other side. If everybody understood that and knew it, I think that scientific materialism leads people to believe that they really are separate, that they're not going to ever have to pay the piper for their deeds as long as they don't get caught. And that, uh, you know, what they do to others, it doesn't matter because, you know, it, that, that's somebody else. It's not me. Every man for himself. What, what was that old uh, uh, looking out for number one? Well, once we realize that there is an afterlife, that it, life is a continuum, 
that uh, we are all one, certainly at the core, it's going to change how people see the world. And I think it's going to be harder for, for us to be uh, to lie, cheat, and steal from others when, when we uh, know that we're going to have that life review. Not to say that you're going to be judged because you're going to judge yourself, but according to the people who come back, they say they actually feel what others felt based on their actions and their words. That's, a, that's an interesting angle. It's, it, you're walking a fine line with religion and spiritual consciousness uh, with this subject matter in terms of how people believe things. Many people believe that there is no retribution for their actions, that Jesus forgave all our sins. No matter what you do, you're going to reach the other side, and even if you do believe in Jesus, you're forgiven. I've always thought that was interesting uh, dogma. Well, I, I think what people are saying that come back after this life review is nobody judges you. You judge yourself. You feel what others felt as a result of what you said or did. And that may be punishment, but it's not somebody else imposing it upon you. It's what you, because you and others, as Jesus said, whatever you do to one of these, my brothers and sisters, you do to me. He knew, Jesus knew what he was talking about. I'm not trying to put down Christianity. I, I, uh, I think Jesus was a great teacher and that we should follow his teachings. I, 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 I go to church every Sunday with my wife, but I don't think that Jesus was literally God incarnate. I think we're all God incarnate, if you, if you want to look at it that way, because we're all part of this one life, this one mind, and, and we're uh, just as Jesus was. And the difference is that Jesus understood that and realized, he's, I and the Father are one, he said. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and the Jews were about to stone him because, because he said, I and the Father are one, and you know the Father works through me, and the Jews wanted to stone him, and they said, well, what, why do you want to stone me? For what good works do you want to stone me? And they said, because you, a man, uh, call yourself God. And Jesus' answer to that was, isn't it written in your law, ye are gods? And he's quoting, I think it's Psalm 86. I have to look that up to be sure. But anyway, Jesus knew what I know, and that is that we're all part of this, this, uh, this one life, this, so I call it the source. I don't like to call it God simply because so many people think of God as the uh, painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, you know, the man with the long white beard who's in human form. That's not what God is. God is a mind and his energy and his consciousness that we all share. There you go, John. I know, I know you're also a fan of Edgar Cayce, and Cayce believed that we all share the same consciousness, and that's what our being is, is that consciousness. Uh, if you want to believe it's directed by God, great. I think he gives you a little more ammo in your pocket. But I think, yeah. I think Casey had a good point with all that. I'm trying to think. There was a doctor, too, who wrote, was it proof? No, proof of heaven. And he was, yeah, a, yeah. He was, he was a brain doctor. And he also uh, believed that he was basically had access to, let's call it Casey's Akasic record, uh, and that uh, he had access to all knowledge uh, while he was in another, well, he was in a coma and he was in another state of, between. Right. 
And he also that, believed it was a stream of consciousness. Ben Alexander, proof of heaven, and he yeah. uh, is a neurosurgeon, yeah. a brain doctor, and he had been a staunch uh, physicalist, a scientific materialist, until he had this experience where he, he uh, got some kind of a disease that really shut his brain down completely, but yet he was still conscious and, and he felt that he went to heaven, proof of heaven. Uh, yeah, and I have had a similar experience, uh, John, when I was about 35. You know, I, I joined the Rosicrucian Society when I, after I had that near-death experience I told you about last time. And I learned all about metaphysics, went through their courses. And I was meditating one day in my backyard in a beautiful spring day, 75 degrees, blue sky, white puffy clouds. And suddenly I uh, opened my eyes and I could see auras around the trees and the flowers. And I went into this uh, place that I, I is almost impossible to describe where I really felt that I was uh, the source, only I had my own point of view. I mean, I could think about something and I knew all about it. It's like I was tapped into the Akashic Records, like I guess uh, Edgar Cayce did when he went into his trances. And it was just an incredible experience. I came back from that knowing that this we're all one, and I, uh, that's why I've been writing these books and trying to get this, this information out to people. Because once they realize it's got to change how they look at the world. It's, it's uh, uh, a total, totally different way than most people think of themselves as meat robots with a computer-like brain. And, and uh, that's not what we are. We're, we are much more vast than that. We just happen to be enclosed right now in these bodies that kind of work like uh, a uh, diving suit going in under the water, except we're in this reality where we're inside this diving suit that's our human body. Our brain does not create consciousness. Our brain is a receiver of consciousness that integrates it with our body, certainly affects our consciousness, because we experience everything through our five senses which means it comes into our eyes, our ears, our touch, our taste, and, and it, that makes us think that our consciousness is housed in our skull, but it's not. It's really everywhere. It's, it's part of this larger, larger mind that we're part of. There you go. Do you believe that there were ancient civilizations that had achieved that state of mentality? I believe that there were ancient civilizations that were much more advanced than we think, than most people think. Yeah, I mean, you know, building the pyramids, for example, is just one. I mean, how did they get those hundred ton stones to be laid all the way up there with, you know, you can't even get a razor blade between them. Uh, same thing in uh, South America, where there uh, are, are structures that Today, we wouldn't be able to build the way they did. So yeah, they had some kind of advanced technology that we don't know about that enabled them to do that. And some people think it had to do with sound, uh, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I think that they were, much, they were in tune to this whole uh, idea of being part of the one life and they somehow developed technologies 
that played off of that. But I, I really, that's about as far as I can go. I will say that, what's his name, Tesla, said that once we start studying the non-physical, we will make more progress in 10 years than we did than we have in the last 100 or something like that. So he, he believed in it as well. That's an interesting theory. We'll be right back right after these sponsor messages to talk with Dr. Stephen Howley regarding how we are going to take the rest of the world and change them from physicalism to one conscience. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. And now we return with Dr. Stephen Howley and how you can help create the shift between physicalism and metaphysics. I don't know if I yeah. got that right. Yeah, well, actually, there is a name for it. It's called idealism. There you go. And if you look, if you look that up, it'll tell you that it basically is that consciousness is the ground of re reality, that, that matter comes from consciousness, not the other way around. Uh, so yeah, idealism. So the way I'm trying to do it is I've written a number of books. If you want to go to my website, shmartin.com, you can find out all about my books. But as I said in the letter to you, John, uh, a lot of people don't read books. They watch TV, they listen to podcasts. Thank goodness. <laughs> And so that's why I like to come on podcasts like yours, but also I'm trying to do this TV show where we can put it all together maybe in six or eight episodes and get the information out there, get the facts out, uh, probably on PBS. Uh, the, the outfit that I'm working with already has a show on PBS, so they have a relationship with them. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it, that's something else you can find out about at my website, shmartin.com. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the contents of the PDF that you sent me, and I'm going to let you maybe set our listeners up with some guidelines. The first being, if you could answer this question, why the inaccurate worldview exists? Well, why does it exist? It exists. I've done some research on this, John. I'm... Uh, one of my ancestors was one of the Salem witches. Susanna North Martin was hanged as a witch in July 1692. And so I, I studied that the whole witch thing, you know, all the depositions, all the trial testimony is online. Anybody who wants to read that in its original form could go online. I think it's the University of Virginia, in fact, that has it in, a, in one place. 
Also, a lot of contemporaries of that time wrote about it, which I've also read. And in that research, I found that there's a English philosopher, a very famous English philosopher named Thomas Hobbes, who wrote The Levithian, is this book that's well known. But he was railing against witches and witchcraft and the idea of Satan and the devil and all that. And he came out with the statement that God made it. If God made it, that's all there is. And that this physical reality is all there is. There is no Satan. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no non-physical reality. There is only this reality of physical reality. Well, you know, that was at the end, toward the end of the 17th century. And it really rolled into the age of enlightenment where, or the age of reason, where people like Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin, people like that, became what became what was called deists, the clockmaker theory, that God made it, wound it up, and let it go, and it's no longer involved in this reality, that in this reality is all there is. And, and so that became what most intellectuals thought. And then along in the 19th century came Charles Darwin, who explained evolution by uh, survival of the fittest, and that's how uh, life came to be and how things evolved. Well, that allowed them to get rid of God altogether. <laughs> and, and of course, at that time, when, when Darwin uh, published his theory in 1859, uh, people thought that the physical world, that the universe, had always been here. They didn't know about the Big Bang, which didn't come along until Hubble, or whatever his name was, in the early 20th century. Well, in the, so it became, the situation became that this physicalism, this, this uh, scientific materialism is what's taught in school and it's still taught in school. But a lot, in 1918, a guy named Max Planck invented, uh, uh, came up with quantum theory. He won the Nobel Prize for it. And Max Planck said, he's quoted in newspaper articles as saying that uh, we can't get beyond consciousness, that consciousness is the ground of being, and that everything comes from consciousness. And he also said that it was an intelligent mind that was behind it all. How else could the Big Bang have happened and all the laws of the universe, all the energy of the, and, and, uh, of the universe come about from nothing, because nothing is just that, nothing, it doesn't exist. It had to be, it had to come from something. And yet, in consciousness, when you think about it, you, you can't get beyond it. Uh, who was it, uh, Rene Descartes or somebody who said, I think, therefore I am. It's, I am because I think, because I have feelings and I have consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so that is the ground of being, according to Max Planck, and other quantum physicists that I've talked to, uh, I've interviewed. I had a show kind of like yours back in the early uh, 2000s, and I interviewed several quantum physicists along with those who were researching paranormal activities and so forth. So we, we sh should have known for the last 100 years that physicalism was incorrect, but it's still taught in schools, and that's why I'm on this, uh, this quest to get the information out there, the facts out there. 
There you go. How do you think a shift to higher consciousness will occur? And will it in our lifetimes? I I don't know if it'll happen completely in your lifetime and my lifetime, (laughs) but uh, I think it's occurring now, John. All these podcasts, these uh, YouTube networks, if you go on YouTube, for example, and just put in consciousness, you're going to get a whole slew of videos that are going to be talking about what, what you and I are talking about right now. And so it is happening. It's because of the internet and the fact that we have this information, ability to get information out. The problem with it, and the reason I'm trying to want to do this TV show, is you hardly see anything at all about it in mainstream media. And a lot of people don't watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts or read books. So I want to get it on mainstream media to you know, do my part to really get that shift going. Because I want the age of Aquarius now. Technically, I think we're already in the age of Aquarius. We left Pisces behind uh, back in the uh, late 80s, I think. But anyway, uh, I think it's happening. And, I, and it, you know, who knows? 30 years? I think in 30 years it'll be taught in school. Maybe sooner. I haven't seen any numbers recently, but the last time I heard, heard a um, any kind of data on what whether or not people believed in ghosts, which is something outside of their own physical universe, that a great majority of people do believe in ghosts. Okay, a great a great majority of people believe in spirits. Uh, so that's already there in a lot of human minds. You know, if you're not a if you're not a, a rooted materialist, there's something banging around in your head that says, wait a minute. You know, uh, there's certain things that have happened in my life. Uh, that that can't be attributed to solid materialism. Uh, there's a there, there are other shades of being um, out there. Even if it's only my brain that experiences it, or if I'm part of a larger consciousness that experiences it, there's stuff going on. You know, I know I might just alone. I've had I've had at least one major experience that told me that my long dead father. Uh, tried to reach me the night before an emergency happened to me. And there was there was no way he could have had that knowledge unless, A, and shared it with me, unless, A, he knew about it in some way, B, uh, whatever type of spirit he occupies, he could process that something was going to happen, and he was fairly close in the way he warned me as to what did happen. So that really woke me up. Uh, and that really shook, not that I was a solid materialist in the first place, but it shook me up enough to start thinking about what it required for him to be able to do that and what kind of existence he's in. It's nothing that can be described in our material world, but it told me that he's out there. And in this case, he was acting as we might describe a guardian angel. He was trying to warn me specifically about a specific thing that did happen. And like to me, that... that sealed it. That sealed the deal with me, you know. Yeah, well, you know, uh, on the other side, if you want to call it that, in the spirit realm, in the, in the realm of mind, there really is no time. It's eternity. Eternity means no time. Right. There's no, uh, no future, no past. There's only the present. And so, and this is true of Edgar Cayce. He could see when he accessed the Akashic Records or went into that trance, he could see probable futures. 
And I don't know if you've uh, done anything with uh, remote viewing, but you know, the United States Army had a unit, I think they called it Stargate, back in the 70s and 80s, that used psychics to spy on uh, spy on uh, the Soviet Union and East Bloc countries. Yes. And I, I interviewed Skip Atwater, I think uh, he, Skip is a nickname, but Skip Atwater, who lives up in uh, near Nellie's Ford, Virginia, up near Charlottesville. He used to be head of the uh, Monroe Institute. But at, back in the 70s and 80s, he was the one who set up that remote viewing operation. And one of the things that they found from using psychics to spy was that they would have to figure out how to tell when something happened, because it could be a probable future they were looking at, or it could be the past that they were looking at. Mm -hmm. So they'd have to find some marker to get a, put a time on it. Uh, and, and it worked. I mean, they, they got good information from, from this uh, unit, Stargate, that uh, was using psychics to, to spy on, on uh, the enemy. So your father, being over there, would, would, could see what the likely future was, and that's why he came to you. you know, did I tell you the story of uh, uh, the being in France at a, a chateau in my last interview with you? Because I don't believe I think, you did. Would you like to share that now? That'd be great. I think this would would be uh, something appropriate to what we've just been discussing. Uh, my first wife, I was married for 15 years to a French woman, beautiful French woman. And uh, she, we actually, I actually had a, owned a house in France where she would spend the summer and I'd come spend two or three weeks, however much time I could get off from the Martin Agency. And... Uh, <laughs> we would visit her friends and so forth and she had a really good friend one girl she grew up with who was married to a count and they lived in paris but the count inherited with his title a chateau and you know when you say castle you think one of these things like the mm -hmm. well said this was more like a big house yeah but anyway it was probably built in the 16th 17th century something like 18th century i don't know but anyway he inherited that Anyway, he made some money in the stock market, decided he'd fix the place up. So he and his wife would go there on the weekends, and they had workmen working on the house. And when he would go to sleep at night, just as he was dozing off, he would hear, thought, think he would hear, at least in his mind, someone screaming for help. And he told me this story when we went to visit him at his chateau because he knew I was interested in this kind of thing. And he said that uh, every night when they were there, he would hear this and his wife would hear it too. And if he'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning, whatever, he'd hear it when he was trying to get back to sleep. So finally, he, he kind of searched around, went down. There was a, like a wine cellar down below and he, he saw a wall that he thought maybe looked a little newer. Than, uh, than the other walls. So he got the workmen who were there renovating the, ha uh, the chateau to come down and tear out that wall. And behind that wall, John, was a skeleton. And they took the skeleton <laughs> and they gave it a Christian burial and they never heard the night noises again. <laughs> but uh -huh. he said that he believed, sincerely believed, that what happened was somebody bopped that guy in the head took him down in the cellar, bricked him up behind the wall, and 
the guy came to and was trying to get out and didn't know he died, been trying to get out ever since, which probably, he said, would have been at least 50, 60 years because the, the place hadn't been lived in for 30 years. Yeah. So uh, that, you know, talking about ghosts, there was a ghost in his yeah. house. Yeah, the spirit was begging for a little closure there. <laughs> yeah. What's the case of Crystal Merzlock? Crystal uh, drowned in a swimming pool and was brought into a an emergency room. I think it was someplace like, I don't know, uh, Montana or uh, Wyoming, but anyway, somewhere out there. And she was, uh, you know, dead. But they managed to bring her back to 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 uh, restart her heart. She had been dead for at least oh, about twenty minutes. But they brought her back, and uh, later on, she told the physician who had uh, been working on her about what was going on in the emergency room when she was brought back and and had and and revived, and what they were talking about, and so on. And you know, this this guy who heard this, I think his name was Doctor Morse. Uh, you know, he he was a materialist. He didn't believe that it was possible. But what she said was so accurate and true that he had to believe it. And he went on to study uh, these near-death experiences, particularly with children, and uh, did a paper that was, uh, wrote a paper that was published in, in a respectable medical journal. But he, <laughs> that was back in the 1980s, I believe, and, I, and he got caught all kinds of flack from his uh, doctor associates because of this. You know who said this was impossible and so on and they <laughs> but uh, that kind of thing happens and it happens today uh dr uh, uh bruce grayson who's now with dops up in charlottesville university of virginia uh unit that's called the division of perceptual studies he's been studying near-death experiences for 30 some years and the reason was that he uh was a uh, ER doctor originally at UVA at their medical center and he had uh, a patient who was dead and he back in one of the rooms where they put people who had died he came out to talk to the friend who had brought her there and you know had a conversation and then when, when he went back the woman who he thought was dead who had been dead had been revived and she told him all about the conversation that he had just had with the friend out in the waiting room and that is what piqued his curiosity about near-death experiences and he's been studying them ever since wow and he just wrote a book by the way dr bruce grayson is his name about his experience uh, studying near-death experiences you have a story called the child who is his grandfather Explain that story. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, here was a, this is one that was told to me by uh, Dr. Uh, Jim Tucker, who took Ian Stevenson's place studying children's memories of past lives when, uh, after Dr. Stevenson, actually he worked under Dr. Stevenson for a while, and then when Dr. Stevenson retired and eventually died, he, he took his place completely. 
and is now the uh, director of uh, the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. This was one of his uh, stories where uh, a man was changing his, his son's diaper. I think the boy was about uh, 18 months old at the time. And w when he was changing the diaper, the boy was just learning to talk. And the, the boy said, you know, uh, I used to change your diaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and anyway, uh, he, this little boy apparently had been the grand, had been the father of his current father. <laughs> and one of the ways they were, became pretty sure of that is that his uh, father found a class picture of, uh, you know, I don't know, it was high school or elementary school, but a class picture that the dad, his dad was in and uh, put it on the coffee table and the little boy came over and pointed right to himself or to his, who he had been before and said, that's me in that, in that picture. <laughs> and, but anyway, uh, Dr. Uh, Tucker theorized that uh, the boy had come back as his uh, fathers as his his boys his son's son because they had not had a good relationship back in the previous life and he wanted to reconcile that so I guess he got the chance to do that it sounds like it you have a story called the reason <laughs> Sam may have come back well people do have reasons for coming back uh, particularly when they have died a uh, what you might call premature death. You know, the, the, like the ones we, two of them we talked about, the fighter pilots, the German uh, and the American, were only probably in their early 20s, and so their life was cut short. And the studies that UVA has done on these uh, children's past, uh, remember past lives, a large percentage of them were uh, died by what would be called unnatural causes. Either they were in an accident, they were killed in war. Uh, they were, uh, you know, died unexpectedly and, and prematurely. And so they cut the average length of time between the past life and the current life for those children who remember past lives that have been studied, something like 2,500 of them now after 60 years of doing it, uh, it's only 15 months between death and the birth. Now there's some that are way outside of that, like the, the German pilot you talked about and the American pilot at Iwo Jima. They were quite a bit longer, but they're outliers. Most of them are only 15 months. That's the average and, or median, I guess. And the uh, other thing that's interesting is that many of them, I've forgotten which percentage, but I know it's over 20%, have birthmarks or birth defects yes. that mirror the wound or whatever it was that killed them. Yes. And what example is the uh, guy who was riding his was a school teacher riding his bike to school, and was shot in the forehead, and when he was born again, he had a round mark on his forehead, and the back of his head had a big uh, birthmark that was like a splatter where the uh, 
where the bullet had exited. Yeah, I think in and, that particular story, Stevenson had sent one of his people out there, and they were in the course of interviewing the parents and looking at the boy. I don't know if it was still a boy or if he was grown. And he said, move your hair back. And he moved his hair back, and lo and behold, there was a mark there, and there was a mark on the back of his head. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Another one is, uh, and they, there are pictures of this, I believe, on their website. I've seen them anyway, uh, where a boy had his fingers cut off in a uh, in a chopping machine, you know, that put his fingers. And he was born with those fingers missing. Mm. Another one was uh, a, a guy who was run over by a train and severed his leg, I believe, below the knee. And he was born without with a stump there below his knee, no foot. So it's that's wild stuff, you know, yeah, where they come wild stuff. Right. I, I think I'm going to want to go through the uh, process of not coming back so quick. How about you? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was Casey believed uh, with regard to those who who do take the path of reincarnation that it, I think it averaged, was it four years? Well, according to the Rosicrucians, for what it's worth, I don't know if I'm divulging something, it's the 140 years. Is oh, okay. Okay. The time between incarnations, which means if you live to be 70, you'll be on the other side for 70. Oh. If you live to 100, you'll be over there for 40, 40 years. So, But, you know, that's that's what they say. Yeah. But I think it doesn't, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule by any means. I interviewed, uh, oh, I wish I could remember his name. It was one of the, one of the gentlemen... This guy was a doctor of psychiatry with uh, Casey Institute, and he did regressive hypnotherapy. And there, there's right. some wild stories that come out of that field as well about past Peter lives. Wood, Peter Woodbury. Peter Woodbury. That's it, Peter Woodbury. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I interviewed him as well. He's really interesting. He can tell you a lot of stuff about Edgar Casey. I can tell you that. Yeah, he had some stories. He definitely had some stories. In fact, when the, we just we just brought that episode back. Uh, I think it was last month, and uh, there's a lot of interest in that. A lot of interest. This is interesting. What you have written here in your in your PDF, you talked about uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson, and you wrote, "Okay, the bottom line finding of the Division of Perceptual Studies research is that the brain is a receiver of consciousness, like a cell phone is a receiver of text and voice messages, a receiver that integrates consciousness with the body." which might better be called the mind-body complex because it's a vehicle or apparatus that allows you and my consciousness to inhabit and operate in this dimension. That's right. And I think that the brain actually dumbs us down because having had that experience where I kind of felt like I merged with the infinite mind, uh, you're, it's a much bigger awareness. And I think that's what you get when yep. you pass over to the other side you you really uh sort of you sort of merge with it but you but you still have your own point of view and that that's the only way i can just yeah it. yeah right. our brain our brain is just like a mirror or or a sponge that for everything from our birth onwards just our own physical being our brain records all that with its biases with its uh, no no that's impossible i really didn't see that uh, that's where our human brain is. And then the consciousness that is beyond that brain 
or maybe maybe of which that brain is just a small part but can't access. We just can't yeah. open that door. Uh, that that total consciousness is just mind blowing. That book again that you that that you just brought up the author's name, but it was proof of heaven. He really explains that well, and he said uh, that when he went into that consciousness, he brought it. He brought a good bit of it back. He couldn't recall it all, but he brought a good bit of it back. And immediately, his son told him immediately, "You got to write this down, Dad. This is incredible." You know. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was the way I felt when I came back from that experience, which was, I'm sure, much more limited than than his, Evan Alexander, because he was he was gone for like two weeks he was in that yeah coma. yeah so he really had plenty of time to experience it all you know what was fascinating uh toward the end of that book is when he explained that every night uh his grandson and other members of the family would gather in a certain room i don't know if it was i don't know which house it was but they would gather and pray for him pray for him to come back and he remembers that he could look down and he saw his grandson with his hands folded and he was praying, please come back. And he described who was sitting next to him and he described that room when he got back. And of course he had yeah. never never seen that, he wasn't there, but his consciousness that that he was able to access saw it and recalled it. Yeah, yeah, that's it that, that's fascinating. Yeah. And he, prayers you know, work and prayers work. He was a big believer in that. Well, that is something that's come out uh, in, in the research that I've done as well, that yes, prayers do work. In fact, there was a study done in 2001 by, uh, by the uh, Columbia University Medical School where they had uh, two different groups uh, pray. Oh, they had two different groups of women who were receiving um, fertilization kind of... Uh, therapy where they were trying to get pregnant mm -hmm. and they had one group that was prayed for and the other group that was not prayed for by something like 10 different groups of people praying for that one group and nobody praying for the other and the group that was being prayed for had 50 percent higher success in getting pregnant than the other group wow yeah yeah it was like some yeah it was it was a huge uh, it couldn't have <laughs> the statistical significance was very high that the prayers worked let's put it that way yeah that jogs a memory block I saw that too that's a neat that's a neat piece of information to share thank you is there anything else you'd like to share with us no just to uh, again encourage people to come to my website you can find out about my books there you can find out what I'm doing about this TV show I'm trying to get going. Uh, it's shmartin.com, S-H-M-A-R-T-I-N. I have a fairly new book out other than the one you're referring to called uh, Fast Track to Higher Consciousness, which really kinds of uh, puts a lot of this information together. Yeah. And uh, it, there's an uh, image of it on my homepage. You can click on that. It'll take you to uh, Amazon. You can read the reviews. It's got 4.5 star review, uh, average reviews. And, uh, you know, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, there's a contact form. You can send me an email and I'll respond. 
Well, thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. Uh, enjoyed this talk with you. I always enjoy our talks together. I wish you the best of luck with this project. It seems like a pretty uh, big deal that you're doing this, and congratulations. You've done a lot of studying on this, a lot of research, and you're, well, I, what I think you're trying to achieve is, is a pretty worthy thing. So, well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate that. I, I thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed talking with you. I've learned some stuff today. Well, good. I certainly have learned a lot. And uh, I'm going to keep you out there on my speed dial. So every time I need to learn a little more, I can get back in touch with you. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done